funny. We talk about Miami Vice. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about Trudy. Big booty Trudy. Big booty Trudy. She so she had a and that was on TV. She had a a plaque on her desk. You had to be a real fan. Did you hey, Jay? Did you ever notice the big booty Trudy plaque on her desk? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop, Isaac, Jahan, Arthur. The music snobs. This is episode 25 of the Music Snobs podcast. We are 25 in. 25% to 100. That's a dumb way to open the show. <laughs> this episode, <laughs> it's episode 25 of the Music Snobs podcast. My name is you Arthur, your, your lead you voice. You got your outtake now. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I'm joined as always with Isaac, Scoop, and Jahan. Miami Vice in 1984 kicked off an era of television where music was just as important to the storyline as the writing and the acting. So now, in what's rightly regarded as a golden age, I'm waiting for the alarm to go off, where a golden age of television is happening, does music still matter to the storyline? Can I, can I jump in first? Can I take first? I don't think it kicked off an era of television where music was just as important. I think Miami Vice was singularly unique in that way. Its music was twofold. It had pop, rock, contemporary songs, and it had original synthesizer score by you know a legendary jazz musician. No other show had that. There is no other show for which music was as important or even close to being as important as it was for Miami Vice. I think, though, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, though, I think that Miami Vice kicking off at the same time that MTV was kind of blowing up, help, you know, kind of helped MTV in a way that, you know, it's like they were, yeah, they were hand in hand. So I, I get what Jay is saying. Yeah, as far I as there's, that. there's no other. To be there's clear, no other, there is no television series. Yeah, there's no other scripted drama, music. television drama that no. did what Miami Vice did. Nothing. But that kind of um, putting music in the forefront you know, and you know, and then again with MTV happening at the same time, something happened. Something special happened then. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying that on on the small screen. Yeah. You know, um, that hadn't that hadn't existed before. Well, I think you know, I, I agree. I do, in my mind, there have been two shows that have done the same thing when music has played an integral part. They just didn't do it. I don't want to say half as well, but they didn't do it as well as Miami Vice. And two shows that stick to, in my mind were New York Undercover, and the second one would be Treme. You know, but it's kind of hard with Tremaine because Tremaine is based around, that's almost mm -hmm. the central theme to the entire show is the music of the city that it comes mm -hmm. from. But the role the music played in both of those shows to me was as important as the role music plays in Miami Vice. The difference is that I don't think they did it. I don't, even, I don't think they did it. No, I'll just say I don't think they did it half as good as, as, as Michael mm -hmm. Mann did in producing it and using music in, in Miami Vice to tell the story of the entire show. I think the reason for that is that the songs that were used in Miami Vice, particularly actually not the songs, mm -hmm. but the score, the incidental music by Jan Hammer, jazz fusion keyboard player. He played with everybody from Beck to John Abercrombie, Stanley Clark, uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra. I mean, this guy is, you know, bona fide, legitimate, prolific 
virtuoso. They set the entire tone for the show and, and they almost contributed an entire personality or landscape to the show in addition to the script, in addition to the characters and mm-hmm. the storylines. And you know, in that way, Jan Hammer was actually the glue for the whole show. Without, without his soundtrack, yeah. for example, Lieutenant uh, Marty Castillo's monochrome taciturn character would have seemed completely out of place. Mm-hmm. You know, without his soundtrack, you don't really get, as someone who had never, at that time, who had never been to Miami, didn't know what it was about, etc. That scenery plus that music was Miami to me. Yeah, but I think, and I agree with you, but I think, though, you can sum up, you know, this marriage between, you know, Miami Vice and music with that one scene in the pilot, which was in the air tonight. To me, that was, you know, one of the greatest uses of a song, not just music, because, mm-hmm. you know, not just score. I'm talking about an actual song in a, you know, in a segment, in a segment of a television show that not just added to the narrative, it carried the narrative. It brought... That that, atmospheric. Right. That acapella, you know, nearly acapella beginning of that song Mm -hmm. combined with what you knew Crockett and Tubbs were about to go do, you know, and and everything had built to this moment. They're chasing this this drug dealer, you know, who who killed uh, Tubbs' brother. Spoiler alert, you know what I'm saying? For anybody who hasn't seen wow. it, you know, 40 wow. years. Some dude is 40 like, years I was later. just about to watch that. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Let me call for, Amazon and send back the DVD. <laughs> but for, um, you know, that that momentous, that like, you know, climax of the show at that at that point. Yeah. That song was like just the build up. Yeah, it was like, oh my God. Agreed. And then when the drums come in and you see Crockett's, you know, the, the rim spinning. Yeah, we're spinning on this Ferrari. It's just like yeah. unbelievable. And yeah, you take crazy. that song out of that, what is that show? You know, that could have changed the whole, you know, arc of that show at that point. So I, I think that what happened though in the late 80s and the 90s when hip hop became prevalent and then you had shows like New York Undercover. They forced it. Too yeah, much. I was about to say it did. It, did, it was it like forced. the songs it was almost a, show, a showcase for new talent. The songs mm-hmm. didn't fit the narrative necessarily. They would go to a club and you know I don't know uh, whoever would be there you know rapping. It was just like it but, was just like okay here is and it was Russell's show. Remember it was Russell yeah. Simmons' show. Him and uh I think it was Dick was Dick Wolf involved in that? I think Dick Wolf was involved. Yeah, Dick in that. Wolf was involved in that. Um, you basically with that with New York Undercover and shows that ilk you had kind of like trying to recapture what Miami Vice had done right and I agree with you it wasn't successful Um, and in today's you know looking at music where music is at on television today to me it's kind of the same thing to the point where they will play the song during like you mentioned a few shows ago doing a reality TV series Mm -hmm. and then tell you the name of the song at the bottom of the screen where Mm -hmm. you can go buy it at you know what I'm saying? And it's like, wow, this know, is you know, really you know what, has nothing to do with the narrative of this story. Right, but, but, go ahead, but to go ahead, be John. fair, to, to be fair, right? Miami Vice is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And, you know, the, the, the three of you guys know how how close it is to my heart. But to be fair, Miami Vice almost forced it to. They spent a huge amount of money on on music. They made sure that they had song segments that were critical to the show or that were you know the the bedrock for the whole show and they even featured artists musical artists in in major roles you know Miles Davis Willie Nelson Phil Collins Glenn Frey Easton yep Frank Zappa Glenn Frey yeah like you said Mm -hmm. Glenn Frey and Phil Collins and these people weren't these guys weren't incidental walk-ons these were actually the star of that or the protagonist or antagonist 
mm-hmm. of those particular episodes. Yeah, Phil Collins had a recurring role. Glenn, Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry. That's it. So did Glenn Fry. From the Smuggler's Blues episode? Smuggler's Blues, which was, that was he was the pilot, uh-huh. which actually right. was the inspiration. If you look at that, if you go back and watch the episode, that was the inspiration for the Miami Vice movie that just the came movie. out. It was the same It yeah. was the same story structure and bits of that narrative leaked into the movie that just came out. On Isaac's point, in terms of the reality show and them saying, okay, and the song we just played was this and blah, blah, blah. At its height... USA Today and other mainstream newspapers in America, you know, in their weekly TV listings or in their nightly TV listings, were saying, and tonight's episode of Miami Vice will feature XYZ song. Yeah, but that's, 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 you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I completely forgot about that. But that to me is a far step removed from what they're doing now. You know, there is product placement now to a whole nother level. Michael yeah, Mann, and really, and really, this is a conversation really about Michael Mann. To yeah, be it is because you, I was about to say it goes because he tried to do the same thing with Crime Story. Yeah, you know, but and, and right, exactly, but it was it was exactly. a different era that right, he was doing it, but the same the same feel mm-hmm. was and still nobody, there, and the same use of music was still exactly. there. And nobody, so I think, miraculously, the point here is that miraculously, somehow, Miami Vice managed to do it beautifully. Time, you know, for what four or five seasons. Yeah. yeah, correct. But um, it goes what I say. They started off that way. They may, if if you take Phil Collins, like if just not just take that scene, just let's not just take that song from that scene. Take that show and not make that show the pilot. What do you mean? Like let's oh, say they just start something. Like no, let's start, let's say they start this at episode ten. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. doesn't set the narrative or the tone for the entire show. Because no, they used that song at the very beginning, first episode, it told you the narrative of how the show is going to yeah, go I mean, all you the had, way down the line. You had, you had yeah, yeah. Crockett and Tubbs in the car. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Loading guns. Yeah. You know, Crockett, it was stopped to get out and, you know, talk on a payphone to his wife who featured like for the next three seasons is like this mm-hmm. constant push and pull in his life. Everything came together in that song, you know what I'm saying, encapsulated it in like the like Jahan said, the atmospheric tone of that was like but that was you, the show. And that and you were able to follow that. You knew from that moment on that that was how that show was gonna be. Mm-hmm. You knew but if you do that on episode ten. Right, right. You know right. what I'm saying? That's yeah, the same. Yeah, it's, yeah, we're start, not just talking yeah, about the it's the placement. That. He was smart enough to do it. Cause I think a couple of episodes ago I, I mentioned, I think if I'm right, I don't forget how many ago, about great product play uh, song placement in a, in in a show. We're talking about scandal. The use of the song Ben. Beautiful. But this is season three. You know what I'm saying? Right. Episode mm-hmm. eight, mm-hmm. season three or whatever. It it could have, if this was the premiere episode, it, it, if you take this episode where they use Ben and Scandal and use that as the pilot episode for this, it changed the entire narrative of the show. Mm-hmm. I agree. It really I does. So I'm just, I'm just, that, but I'm gonna let I'm gonna let I know John wanted to jump in and say something. Part of it is how seriously they took the music in the first place. Right. They didn't it wasn't just incidental, you know, incidental music, pardon the pun. It wasn't it wasn't just incidental, okay, we better have some music now because we don't have any script. It wasn't that at all. They took it very, very, very seriously. They they bought the rights to pop songs outright. Their their music budget was allegedly ten G's per episode. Mm. Which was what? And to in two thousand and fourteen dollars, what's that like fifty G's? Oh, God, it must be. And mm-hmm. they would never do that nowadays. And that's that's they, the rebuttal I wanted to that that kind of fits what I was gonna say is that I get like I agree with you as far as, you know, the third season and everything. I get your point there. But what they did with that song with Ben, I see 
that's to me what happens now is that you see a lot of, and they did this on the Sopranos. They've done this on a lot of television shows, you know, within the last 10, 15 years where they use older songs to emphasize a point that's mm-hmm. being made through the narrative. And I, I'm not mad at that at all because it works. Right. What Miami Vice did, like Jahan said, they were getting music that was coming out then within a, within right. a few years. And well, Michael Mann was actively... Were, ma- labels you, were competing. Right, labels were fighting. Labels were competing to get on there. Michael Mann talks about on either Collateral or Miami Vice, one of those DVDs, uh, one of the director commentaries, he talks about how he listens to music. You know, how he searches for it. How he find, to me, that's that's what's uh, the biggest difference between then and now. Nobody is doing that. Nobody's mm-hmm. really featuring a Drake song, music, a Drake song that you've never heard before. Right, right. You they, know, pops well, up well, on a Friday you know they, and, act, and actually works for and the works, narrative and becomes its own scene. Becomes its own scene, not right. not product placement, yeah, but mm-hmm. actually works for what's See, that, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. You know. See, I think what Scoop said is perfect. Becomes its own scene because it does happen now. Um, Scoop, you, you know, you I'm sure you know this. Being Mary Jane, the Gabrielle Union BET mm-hmm. drama. Mm-hmm. They used music better, I think, than most other contemporary shows used music. But again, it stopped short. It, it was like punctuation right. to a particular emotion or moment that the characters were experiencing. But it stopped short of becoming its own scene. Mm-hmm. It stopped short. They didn't dedicate scenes to the song. Right. Whereas, you know, whether it's Elder Bar singing in the club that's about to get, you know, um, tossed up or whether it's, you know, the Phil Collins example that we've spoken about or any, you know, pick one or, or of course, you know, Jan Hammer, Crockett's theme, right. which is arguably as iconic as the Phil Collins in the air tonight example. Mm-hmm. You know, Crockett's theme is that's, you know, that that was a huge hit on its own as a single. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the Miami Vice theme that won that won two Grammys in 1986, best instrumental composition and best pop instrumental performance. And uh, you know Miami Vice theme went up against Axel F, the other kind of massive instrumental movie stroke TV hit. And won Miami Vice theme won. Mm-hmm. So they they would dedicate entire sort of moments, scenes, and personalities to the music. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't think has ever been done before. So I think Scoop, you nailed it. And I think that was that was Michael Mann. Let me ask you though: Is this this uh, Gabrielle Union show? Are they using contemporary tracks? All contemporary, yeah. And yeah. and you know what? Good taste. Whoever's the music supervisor for that has got great taste. They'll put Robert Glasper in there. Yeah. Little Dragon, D'Angelo. It's it's there. Yeah, yeah, but, it, you, but, it, but it's a not to my level of, of what you know. Right. It's not Michael Mann level. But there's a cat uh, named Scott. Um, I, th- I think they it's, just underline a moment, not the whole scene. There's a music supervisor. I forgot his name. Scott. I want to say Veneer, but I don't think that's right. Um, but he was a music supervisor for Entourage. And not to say Entourage is anywhere on this level, but there was one scene where, and I think it was in the final season, where he nailed, it was the Miami Vice moment. One of the mm-hmm. characters committed, uh, not the characters, a friend of Vinny's uh, committed suicide. on And Vinny and Turtle on the other side of the door. And right when they go in, was it the James it wasn't the James Blake song yeah Wilhelm Scream that song started playing it was a Miami Vice moment it was a scene and he later talked about the music supervisor later talked about there's some other Jay-Z track he wanted he kind of wanted to do and he went back and forth and then what he said I was so glad after seeing it you know that I chose that song instead and the song became a hit afterwards Mm -hmm. you know it became Mm -hmm. you know iTunes Mm -hmm. whatever uh, Spotify whatever hit afterwards but that was a Miami Vice moment what I see now, mo- mostly outside of the product placement stuff, I see a lot of shows, man, where music is featured in the theme 
a la mm-hmm. Sopranos or whatever, mm-hmm. um, a la True Detective, the, you know, they, their theme song. Then it's ne- you don't hear music throughout. You hear some score, but you really don't right. hear any songs any well, any place else within the entire show. Well, well, no, the Sopranos, I don't think it's true about the Sopranos. I mean, they famously or infamously used uh, Journey's Don't Stop Believing in their at the end. But even during the season, you know, they've got they've got loads of different but, songs. But, that contem- used. They didn't, but Jay, they didn't use contemporary songs. They, they didn't used, use contemporary songs. Yeah, they used songs from different. Tony's childhood or whatever. Agreed, agreed. But there's lots of examples of TV shows today that have used a contemporary song for to, to articulate a particular moment. For example, Detroit 187, they featured Dillers It's Like That in one interrogation scene and other Detroit music throughout the series. Um, in um, Nate's, Nate's Death, spoiler alert, on Burn Notice, um, featured Sean Carey's Broken. You watch Burn Notice? Yeah, I, I checked out Burn Notice. Dude, it's, your, your you know, palate is wide, man, because I would have never pegged you for watching a USA, USA original show. Well, I'm glad I did because, you know, when this major character dies, they feature Sean Carey's Broken. Beautiful song by um, Bon Iver's drummer. Beautiful, beautiful song. They featured that. It's very, very moving, very, very emotional, exactly as you described the Entourage moment. But the difference is between Entourage and Detroit 187 and Burn Notice and to some extent The Sopranos, the difference between all of those and Miami Vice is Miami Vice did it all the time. They were consistent. Every single episode had one, if not two, if not three moments like this, scenes like this, which is why I'm saying the music in Miami Vice was actually a personality. And in order to do it well, it's actually almost like a character or an atmosphere or an attribute that the city or the show itself has no one else has done that. No one else has taken it to that level. So you ask, does music still matter on the small screen? Yeah, it matters as it's always done. Every now and then you'll get a moment. Every now and then they'll pay for a song to be used during a very, very dramatic moment that they want you to remember. But no, not as a consistent personality running through the fabric of the very show like they did with Miami Vice. Unless music is a part of the storyline. Well, do you think that it's because... It's because... uh Miami Vice was done in such a cinematic way? No, I, I think their shows have been done cinematically, you know, from a television standpoint. It's just, it goes to what I, it's, it's, it's the mind of, it's the mind of Michael Mann. It's, it's what he envisioned this show to be. And I don't think, I don't think anybody has looked at having music play that type of role. I, 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 I think what Jahan and Isaac are saying, even though they're, they're not diametrically opposed to what they're saying, they're saying two different things, but both things are what they're saying is right. It's absolute truth to what they're saying in that producers don't look at using music as a secondary voice. They use it, as Jahan said earlier, to cover up wax scripts. Window dress. To cover, to, to cover up a fact that somebody may not be able to act in the scene, so they'll throw music in there. You know, they use it to possibly change change directions of how a conversation or, or how a theme should go. They do not use it as a secondary voice. Michael Mann... Mm. And this must be hard to do because what we're saying is nobody's ever really done it at this level before. He was able to use and incorporate music as a secondary voice for his show and do it consistently, not just once. You know, I'm pretty sure we can all pull out scenes that like mean something and music was applied perfectly, but it's not done well, year after year, episode after episode. So, and, and let's let's not give Michael Mann all the credit here. I'm sure Anthony Yerkovich 
deserves some as well. I, I don't know, does he? Because he created I the show, but I don't know after that. Well, he was I'm not, an executive producer on, on much of it, right? Yeah, but I mean, and, and you know, I'm saying this to say I don't know because executive producer in Hollywood could just be here. Look, we're gonna list you as this, so we can give you a check. Well, every how week. about how about we just throw out the Anthony Yerkovich name so people know? Yeah, that I mean, yeah, he's, he created the show. Yeah, yeah. no, Let no. Sp- hey, but hold, hold on, real quick to to what you were saying. I think what happens, what Scoop was saying. I think what happens a lot is from a writing standpoint, these writers depend they leave they use the song an older song as yeah. a crutch because they know when ben came out, i know i'm saying scandal did this yeah. Yeah. but an when ben it evokes an emotion that you already yeah. have you already own this yeah. emotion right. so instead of me writing this to like to the degree where you can get this i'm just gonna throw this song in here so it'll make up for you know whatever i'm not gonna write and that's what I, that's what i think is happening a lot now the reason that i brought up movies was because you know i'm looking at i'm looking at what the halo effect was miami vice I'm trying to remember when there were like music inspired by the show type stuff. Because Beverly Hills Cop had a big selling album behind. Um, well, you know, you mentioned Alex, Axel F, but I mean, there were there were other songs that were on. Um, there were Don Henley songs. Yeah, the Bell song was on. George Michael. Yep. No, to answer your question. I don't think and I don't remember like going and buying a, an album like you would go buy an album um, you know from a motion picture was like this is music that was inspired or solicited for this motion picture and to me that added value to Miami Vice because every Friday that music sounded so fresh and integral to that show that I didn't separate it from that show in other words I could listen to In the Air Tonight without watching Miami Vice but anytime I watch, listen to that song I'm there you I'm feel with like Crockett. Crockett I'm with Crockett and Tucker like I'm and basically and Crockett at that point right. <laughs> me and Jay talked about riding around late at night <laughs> you know what I'm saying right, in your car right. with that music playing and you're Crockett you know what I'm saying it's like you can't separate the two so some of these other songs for motion pictures you can kind of separate them from the movie you know what I'm saying and feel differently yeah, about it's them. just a jam that this, and, and, and you know what but let's but what the reason I disagreed with what Arthur was saying in terms of the halo effect of movies, even at that time, movies didn't do it. In Beverly Hills Cop, you know, Axel F was played in the way that a score is played, but Pilot Bell, Stir It Up, or, you know, whatever else, you know, uh, the George Michael. The Pointer Sisters had a song well, on that? They weren't, they, they didn't undercut an entire scene to it, give you the emotion of that scene. Yeah, it was, it was background it, music. Yeah, but it's it going was, like, it was incidental music right. with very little meaningfulness. Yeah, and, and and it was kind of like yeah they played you know Patti LaBelle in that but they might as well have played Whitney Houston right it didn't it, it wasn't critical you know you can't you can't play anything but Phil Collins in that scene right has anybody seen the movie Midnight Express yes okay of course the, 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 yeah right the mm-hmm. way exact, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're talking wait about wait a minute fresh my memory who was in that Oh. I'm getting it confused with Midnight Run. Who was in Midnight Express? Midnight Run was Robert De Niro, yeah, De Niro and Charles. Charles, Charles Burrow, First of all, that was a comedy. This yeah. is a serious shit. This is serious. Shit. This is, this is, <laughs> right, right. This is serious. Shit. But the use of that song, yeah, do, 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 it set the tone for that entire, you know, yeah. for that entire movie. Yeah. And I think from a television standpoint, I said it earlier. The only show to me that exists right now that comes close to what we're talking about, where you can get a, you know, music Tremaine. inspired by, is Treme. But the problem is, is that the the show is about music yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying perform- so it has it's to a performance, it yeah. has to it has to music on Miami Vice you know some of it was released some of it was made specifically for that television show so 
an example that I'm thinking of as far as a film is something like Goodfellas, which which is a period piece. So obviously they're going to use music at that mm-hmm. time. But Scorsese mm-hmm. cares so much about the music in the context of the period that it's in. You know, it still felt like background music. It felt like it felt like it was. It feels like it's supporting the scene. It doesn't feel like it's a part of the scene. I kind of fall between you guys. I think for the majority of the movie, I'm going to go with Isaac. It's background incidental music that supports the scene and one song could be switched out for another, even of that era. I think the only exception is um, the use of Eric Clapton's Layla. You know, and, and, and not, not the main famous part of Layla, the second part, the instrumental yeah. kind of um, almost country rock kind of outro. Of, I think that, that's iconic. The use of that is iconic when they're discovering all the people that Jimmy's killed. Um, I, I think that's that's an incredible use. I put that on a Miami Vice level, but um, but again, you know, you've got you've got Ray Liotta doing his voice over over it. It's not as bleak and clean, you know. You've got someone talking over it. The reason I keep saying that Miami Vice's music was like a personality or a character on the show, everybody will shut up. They just played the music, and they just showed the characters going about their day or doing whatever it was that they were doing. But it wasn't like they were going to be talking over it. It was like, focus on the music and these guys. It was a personality. I'll go on record as saying the greatest use of music in a movie was Fight the Power introduction. Do the right <laughs> thing, Rosie Perez. There well, you go. We've that conversation, right? You'd... Yeah, I mean, that was probably maybe one, maybe one of the greatest intros to any movie, period. Yeah. But, great, great song. And, you know, Spike, great song you know, give it, giving credit to Spike, <laughs> Spike serious, is Spike. at times in his movies has you know approached michael mann levels with the music to me you know what i'm saying of advancing especially with uh using his father's music or using uh uh, uh terrence blanchard yeah Terrence, terrence blanchard, blanchard yeah. um using his music so yeah especially even during his documentary he did on katrina yeah when um, the levees broke. yeah when the levees broke you know the music in that was just you know so spike yeah. to me as at times has, has has reached that michael mann level but i think it's to me on the small screen on television, it's it's not easier to do, but it's the small screen is more formatted to what Miami Vice did because you get to see these characters evolve and you get a part of their stories for such a long period of time. But it must be hard to do because you have to continue to do it. Yeah, it's hard to weeks, do. But I'm you know saying, what I'm saying? It's not just one film. It's yeah, it's crazy to do. To use that music to emphasize or you know become a part of the scene, it just means so much more because you know these cats. You know, in a level that you don't get in a two-hour movie. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you get to season two and three and that, you know, song is coming in during the coda of the uh, uh, of the episode and Crockett is walking down, pulling out his gun or whatever. Uh, you just feel it because yeah. you know Crockett. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know Tubbs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I think the small screen was more fit because to be honest, Collateral uh, and maybe... Not the, not the Miami Vice movie, but Collateral and a few other films I can think of, Michael Mann approached the level of music you know involvement really? that he did on miami vice so? but he never got he it never was as good as it was on miami vice well, well isaac i i think it was entirely different i mean what what song did he use in collateral it was more a score it wasn't it wasn't pop songs yeah, it was more you, of a score just tr- yeah, yeah. It, it, there's, there's i don't, I don't think michael mann is close to what michael mann was no that, and that's what i'm saying i think this but i think that the small screen because he he struggled greatly over using that reworked in it in the air tonight in the miami vice movie in fact yeah, he left it out badly. on the theatrical release and then inserted it for the dvd yeah. release but i think the small screen is just much more suited to 
involving music in that in that way. Sean Ryan's, I think, going back to the whole scandal thing. Sean Ryan's, I think, try to do. If you look at the the arc of the show, she done from Grey's Anatomy to Private Practice to now, you know, Scandal. If you look at those shows, she's tried to do it, but it's not at that. You know, it it doesn't fit. You know, the way Michael Mann was able to fit it to telling the story. Because he didn't just tell a story of two cops. He told a story of an entire city. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that's the that's part of the thing we need to bring into the conversation, looking at the scope of something. No, looking at the scope of where the television producers we're talking about using music are not looking at the scope of an entire city being told as much as it is about the characters are being told. Shonda Rhimes is not telling, trying to tell the story of Seattle in Grey's Anatomy. She's not trying to tell the story of Washington, D.C., you know, in Scandal. She's trying to tell the story about people or a hospital or organization, whereas Michael Mann was trying to was use music to tell the story, not necessarily about Crockett and Tubbs. He was telling the entire story and, and of a, a time city period. at a time when a lot of people didn't even know what Miami didn't have an identity yeah, at the didn't time. He didn't have an identity. Right. So he could have been wrong. I, I'll give we, you some support on that. Uh, the one time, and I mentioned this on the show before, The Bridge, uh, the American version of The Bridge, who used the song, and I, I mentioned it, you know, about four episodes ago. BDP the bridge, um, you used the bridge in it? <laughs> <laughs> that would be dope. Yeah, it would be dope. But <laughs> they used, they did a Miami, they, they approached that level. It was only one episode and one song. But that is a show that is telling a story about not just these two characters, but like you said, they're telling a story about uh, two, or, uh, Air, or, uh, is it Arizona? New Mexico and Mexico at that border. They're telling a story about that place and an era and these people and this culture and all these other things. Yeah. Maybe that does have something to do. That goes back to what we were saying about the difference between Miami Vice and then Burn Notice, Detroit 187, Entourage, you know, Low Winter Sun using uh, Death's, uh, you know, the politician's track. Mm-hmm. They, they're all great moments, but... They're one-offs. You have to wait the whole season yeah, for right. that moment, and, and you, you don't you don't get guarantee of having an atmospheric uh, sequence like that in every single episode. You know, low low winter low winter sun completely missed the boat. They missed the boat on a few things, but they completely missed the boat in an opportunity because this is a show that was shot in Detroit, and, and really mm-hmm. that was one of the pluses I give that show. They did a really good mm-hmm. job of shooting in Detroit, but. Better than better, better even than uh, Detroit 187, which I wasn't mad at. I'm, I was kind of wishing that mm-hmm. show would have stuck mm-hmm. around because I thought it could have grown. But what Low Winter Sun did is that they took the easy route. It's Detroit. It has a lot of musical history. We'll just play some old music from Detroit. Mm-hmm. This was an opportunity because Detroit is still making great music. Right. You know what I'm saying? This is an opportunity yeah. to go ahead and say, Definitely. let's let's you know take this a step further, get music that's going on now in Detroit, and give exactly. this city, just like they did for Miami, Give this city an identity. It doesn't have an identity now outside of people who really know it, it. Scope. and people who are dogging it out exactly. because of what they're going yep. through. Exactly. Go ahead and, and use music to give this city an identity now. Yeah. And they didn't do it. And I think they, I think they're coming back for a second season. I doubt they'll do no, it. No, they're not. They canceled. Oh, they, it got canceled, canceled in, de- in December. Yeah. Oh, right. ouch. <laughs> right. Maybe the very reason that I'm describing the strength of Miami Vice on this whole personality and atmosphere and character tip, the music being a separate character. Maybe that's one reason why it doesn't get done nowadays. Mm. Maybe maybe showrunners don't want any personality other than what they created, not what not what another famous musician has done. Good point. And just before we wrap up, both Philip Michael Thomas and Don Johnson recorded two albums. 
in the height, you know, in 85, 88, you know, and, and in fact, Don Johnson's second album, if you can, if you can find it, the cover art is a direct ripoff. I mean, direct ripoff, almost like just a photocopy with Don Johnson photoshopped instead of this guy of Sting's Nothing Like the Sun. <laughs> so you should look you should look that up. I mean direct copy. And shout out to uh, Philip Michael Thomas who's from Columbus, Ohio. Last point, how shocking is it that the wire failed so miserably in this category? Is Baltimore very musical? I was about to I was about to I was about to say this is JJ. Have you ever been to Baltimore before? Because <laughs> <laughs> because apparently you wouldn't make if you've been to Baltimore before, you know. <laughs> That there's no, yeah, there's no stylization, <laughs> there's no music, yeah. I love the way he yeah, said it. Yeah. Uh, Jay, have you ever been to Baltimore before? Right. <laughs> if you've been to Baltimore, you would you would retract that statement. Like, you know, there's there's no music alive that can, like, stylize. Yeah, stark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Minimalism at its best, sir. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do the what if. This episode is what if, and I know you guys love the what if segment. What if... Robert Palmer, and this goes perfectly with our, our topic A about Miami Vice. What if Robert Palmer, 80s pop, was he an icon? Was he a pop icon? Nah. nah. Pop star? Was <laughs> nah. he a star? He was a star. He was a pop, star. Pop, pop, uh, just happened for a minute. Singer? Yeah. Okay, yeah pop, pop singer. What if Robert Palmer, 80s pop singer, had not filmed a video for Addicted to Love? So the song comes out, but what if the video never came out? Right, the video. Yeah. Go if he to, doesn't go, do go the to video. the Miami Vice thing. If there was no Miami, no Miami Vice, there would have never been a video for that song. I agree with that. <laughs> That's I bottom line. So, so that video was a direct. Well, from my yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole the whole concept. It was like an answer. Yes, exactly. So several videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, but this one, I don't know. It was something about this one. I mean, this is the video that is probably the most iconic video. I mean, like maybe of all time, to the point where. You could see, you can see. It's in the category, definitely. Yes, I agree with Jay. It's in the category. In cartoons, you could see it in advertisements. Anytime you see, you know, four or five white women with their hair slicked back wearing sunglasses, they could be four or five white penguins (laughs) standing behind a black penguin. (laughs) As long as they got guitars, right? Mm. Yeah. And the song itself, I mean, it's a it was a nice pop song you know uh, uh, produced by Bernard Edwards it was a chic song we'll come back to that it was a chic song it was originally supposed to be a duet with Shaka Khan was it yes yeah Scoop hit me into that wow. that would have been hot actually I could, she, I could hear her on the court. Shaka has a I could totally hear her on it a that vocal arrangement might have gone in a totally different direction has she done that yeah yeah she, she Shaka Khan has a vocal arrangement credit Tony Thompson was on, a, was on drums he was you sure about that I am sure about okay. that alright um, Andy Taylor from Duran Duran from Duran Duran played guitar and and all of them got replaced in the video <laughs> all of them got replaced, all of them got replaced in, the in the video yep all of them got replaced in the video but uh, John help me out why, why, why is why is this an, a uh, a what if to even well I think, think that when we talk about our what ifs we always talk about something that happened which was you know fairly major and if that didn't happen, what directions, what other major things could have happened? So here, the, the sort of major thing that I think that could have happened here is we may have seen one of the great pop rock supergroups enduring, getting a chance to develop and and enduring. Power so, Station? Correct. Yeah, I agree. See, look, in, in 86, yeah. after the success of uh, of You to a Kill, 
uh, Union of the Snake, The Reflex, etc. Duran Duran went on hiatus. And their bassist um, and guitarist, Andy and John Taylor, Mm. they joined chic drummer Tony Thompson and Robert Palmer to form this pop rock supergroup, Power Station. Mm -hmm. They had two hits, Some Like It Hot, and then a cover of T-Rex's Get It On, Bang It On. Get It On, Bang It On. Exactly. God, you're bringing me straight back to like middle school, man. It's like it's like flashbacks. Exactly. Wow. And they they made this they made this album, right? They made this album and it did okay. And then um, Robert Palmer just unceremoniously said, "Yeah, okay, see you later." On the eve on the eve of a tour, he left them to do his own solo album to work on uh, Riptide. And um, there was a bit of acrimony in terms of did he steal Power Station's sound for Riptide? And he said, no, it was my sound. I gave it to Power Station. Mm. Um, And then Riptide comes along and, um, you know, he has Addicted to Love and then he covers Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's I Didn't Mean to Turn You On, as you know, as previously recorded by Sherelle. He covered, you know, a very good cover. In fact, one of the few covers that adds a different dimension to the original song. Um, and uh, Addicted to Love the video comes out it's iconic it blows his album sells incredibly well and he you know continues his solo career on his own and he, and he does that, the same video format for, for, for the Sherelle song right, same video right, format exactly. Exactly. exactly I mean if it ain't broke here's my thing John <laughs> I, I want you to finish this, but how does he take credit for that sound when it's Bernard it was in now Rogers' sound yeah I mean I agree with you I agree with you wasn't the Power Station video, I can't remember which, which one of those singles it was for, but wasn't it just the little electronic thing bouncing around on the screen? Like the Power that was, Station? That was part of it. I mean, that was like color. Okay. So that it. wasn't the but whole video? No, it wasn't the whole video. I mean, I'm like, that's Palmer in direct was, contrast with the Addicted to Love video. Oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. But really I mean, it was, still the, it was still the black and red motif. And then, you know, Palmer actually in the video... Uh, was dressed as a priest. He had a collar. Ah, now I remember. Yes, that now was I that video. Right. And the the focus was the Taylors, but um, you know, for me, it was Tony Thompson as the anchor. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a there was another dimension that Sheik had mm-hmm. is 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 in part for me ignored because Sheik is always associated with so called disco you know, dance music. Right. That's but, how I, that's in my mind. That's how I associate But Niles and Bernard Edwards mean they, they worked on Madonna's album, Like a Virgin. They, they were a lot on, more varied. Oh I, man, it's unbelievable. Their, their fingerprints are, their, their fingerprints are all over the eighties. But you guys are saying though, if this video itself is not made, Robert Palmer's career doesn't take off in power station. No, I, 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 John, you said a lot of stuff on this show, all 26 shows. That may be seriously. <laughs> no, one, saying, no, no, no. One yeah. thing I agree with you. No, no, about. no, no, no. I, I agree. I agree with a lot of stuff Jahan says, but that may be. I don't want to call it profound, but that may be the most on point comment he's ever made. I because I, I, it's not about me agreeing with it. To me, that's fact. That's just fact. That's right. just straight up fact. There's no other. Way. That's that's straight up fact. If this video is never done, like you said, Power Station would be one of the. Music may have changed because what would have happened is that the power station blows up. Trust me, if that video is not done. The power station becomes because like he's addicted, a super to group. Love, addicted to love is essentially a power station. Session. Oh, and it would, they would have exactly. wound up doing it, right? Exactly. Right, but it's a. If that doesn't happen, all of a sudden you look at power station becoming a super group, and that's really what they were. And there was no, they, you know, jazz musicians used to get together and do this and that, but it wasn't happening in pop music. You didn't have a super group where you get like a one singer. 
You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. members of two different great bands coming together to form something. What happens once Power Station blows up? How many more people follow that trend to try to be supergroups? You know, so Jahan, I'm telling you, that's, you, you stated fact. That's like biblical fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, and I think what, what also is, is important to note is that when Duran Duran did come back with Notorious, they didn't get the same level of success that they got previously. Right. You know, they had Notorious is like the big single off that album. But they didn't get they didn't get that same level of success, and that that album wasn't met with the same acclaim as their previous albums. So I think you know I think that they definitely were slowly starting to kind of uh, weaken and uh, you know and, and lack in a way that Power Station had Power Station persisted, they would have filled that vacuum. I mean, it's not like y'all blaming. It's like y'all blaming Eve on this because you know the women get up, turn on the sex appeal make an iconic video and y'all basically saying that if it wasn't for that we would have a great power you know a great power group and would have changed everything <laughs> no but it, but it did it did yeah it did i blame y'all because you know if it wasn't <laughs> for men clamoring over this video then we would have had a lot of great music no 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 it wasn't a sexual thing though because yeah they that's the bikinis. thing it wasn't like they were the, it, it wasn't know, it was a sexual the idea thing. That, the thing about it was, it was like, okay, he's got supermodels standing behind him. It was right. definitely a sexual thing. What are y'all talking no, about? No, he's oh, listening. Listen, 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 can I say this? Back in band. Can I please say They're this? Just sophisticated I, looking wait, women. Can I see? Can I please say this? Listen, what I'm saying is that if this video is not done, they do wind up doing the video, but it's not a Robert Palmer video. It's a Power Station video. Okay, okay, but, yeah, but I, and I, that, I get that. And what I'm saying, so now the Power Station becomes, like Jahan said, a super group. Right. But and that has less to that, to me. That has less to do with the video that has to do with Robert Palmer being who he was and leaving them. Because if this video, if this he, song he doesn't break up, that doesn't guarantee he, he's going to go back to back to power. He, he was he was criticized quite heavily by the press. Yeah. You know, they said you pulled an unprofessional move here, leaving mid tour because you know he he left mid tour. They had to find a different vocalist. I think his name was Michael. Michael was, there fall, was there falling out or what? Michael Disbars. No, he just decided to bounce. Just decided <laughs> <All right>. to go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, one uh, thing, uh, well, one thing, one thing for y'all sure say this, and I'm not trying to say this for laughter purposes. If if he ever did this video, there would be no tone loke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> true that. Nah, that's for real. True that tone. If you're listening, true that. Uh, but I agree with everything you guys said. But I completely disagree about this video was about sex. It was sexy. Well, I don't know. It was sexy. It was about. Let me let me finish. Let me let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. It doesn't. Sex can be sophisticated. Sex does not have to be nasty and dirty. It was a sexy thing to see four or five women behind him with sunglasses on and short skirts playing instruments. It was sexy. So I don't think sex in videos has to be about half naked girls on stripper poles. It was a sexy thing, and that's that's what sold. The sexiness sold. It was a sexual video. I agree with you. I'm just saying it wouldn't have been a Robert Palmer. Like, yeah. I'm just saying, fuck you, Medina. That's a sexual video. Oh, dude. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Arthur, was you watching this video when you was a kid, you know, thinking about, wow, they're really playing those instruments well. Arthur's like, they ain't miming it right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the next topic. Blackout. The name of the topic is Blackout. In 2013, not a single black artist had a number one hit, had a number one song on the Billboard Hot 100, which is the first time that that had happened in 55 years. That's a long time. So now white artists claim the number one spot on the R&B and hip hop chart 44 out of the 52 weeks in 2013. So is black culture losing control 
of black music? I have a hard black problem. Black culture lost control of black music long yes, before a long time ago. But my, my thing is that I don't. It's still black music to me. If, if you look at this, like. Justin Timberlake is, he happens to be the front of this, but it's still, Timberlake, it's still black music. Agreed. Pharrell happens to be at, I mean, Robert, uh, Robert, Robert, Thicke. Robert, Robert Thicke, Thicke happens to be, and Daft Punk happens to be at the front of this, mm -hmm. but it's still Pharrell's music. You know, Will I Am, it's still just uh, Britney Spears' music. Agreed. You know, Will I Am is at the, you know, he's doing this, and it, Eminem had a number one song with Rihanna, Monster. Mm -hmm. So they're saying no black, so she's not even a part of the song they're anymore. They're saying so, black artists. But that's my point, is that I'm, that's just the front of it. And that's the problem. Saying? To me. Yeah, but that's, to we, me, that's we a whole are, different conversation. Right now, it's almost like, it's almost like, remember how back, I don't, you know, none of us were alive then, but back in the 20s and 30s, when they used to put white artists on the yeah, cover of yeah, it, yeah. it's almost the same thing to me. But the question is, black music and black culture because the number one songs and I'm I don't want it the reason I think it's misrepresented is the, the statement that there were no black artists reads that we were not included we had nothing to do or we were not in any number one songs at all no, I don't during think the season just because these artists no isn't isn't I mean not to preempt what Isaac is saying but isn't Isaac saying that the argument here is that successful black here, music here all, it is all the black music that is successful listen, was listen. exclusively presented listen to what I'm saying is black culture losing control of black music you're saying no okay because all I, the I music agree. we're talking I agree, that's, I agree okay, with you there I agree with you other there. than the loss that it's already you know, yeah I, I agree I agree with you there but I will say that to me okay then after that the more pressing question is the representation of black music to, to piggyback on what Jahan just said, black music being represented, you know, by white artists. And as you know, if they feel like, Hey, we can just get Robin Thicke to do this. We don't need Usher. We don't need these, you know what I'm saying? So that's where a problem starts to perpetuate. And it's ironic. It's it, the, the irony of this to me is that Beyonce, who is, you know, along with Rihanna is, you know, the top, you know, black female artist mm -hmm. of her time or whatever. Mm -hmm. releases the greatest album of her career in my opinion and mm -hmm. she doesn't chart you know what I'm saying at the at number one this to me is you know this is endemic of something that's it happened maybe about four years ago when for the first time hip-hop was not the number one selling genre in the in 10 years for like 10 or 15 years hip-hop ruled and then suddenly country music or whatever became the number one selling genre I think it was like maybe four years ago and to me this this snowball effect is happening where just like I said it's very similar to me of when you had white artists being put on the cover of albums of black music, you know, black musicians. To me, it's the same thing. But I mean, isn't the inverse true with, with the point that Scoop made? It's like, okay, Timberland, you know what? I'm about to get this money. I'm, I'm going to do Timberlake's album. Will I am, you know what? I'm about to get this money. I'm going to do Britney's album. You know what? I'm going to get this money. I'm about to do Robin Thicke's album. Yeah, I think from a financial standpoint, that's a good thing. But from a represent, we all know the visual matters, especially in America. So if I'm if I'm a little kid looking at the Grammys and all I see are white artists getting up to accept awards, that has an impact. It has an impact on the culture. Isaac, I agree with you. But what what I mean, going to what Scoop said, no one's hiding the fact that Timberland and Pharrell and Ti and you know rihanna aren't all over these tracks or will i am or whatever no one's hiding this isn't an addicted to love situation where you know poor tony thompson is replaced by some princess caroline of monaco lookalike it's not that situation they brandish the fact that black musicians black producers black mcs um, black musicians are all over this track 
Well, here's 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 what I feel about it, is that this is not some apocalyptic moment right now, but I see this as the beginning of something. I see this as the moment we're going to look back on and we're going to do a roundtable or a topic on this in 20 years and be like, was that the beginning of the push out? You know what I'm saying? Where, where the ushers of the world or the Rihanna's or the Beyonce's were pushed out and we don't need them anymore. We have our Miley Cyrus's. We have our Adele's. We don't need y'all anymore. Well, it's not that. I, I hear what you're saying, but I think we have to look deeper into like, okay, why are these? And I, I guess it's a thing with trying to create a wider audience. But if you look at the people that are considered the top, quote unquote, black pop producers, they're all aligning themselves with white artists. You know, it starts with Dre and Eminem. You know, we mentioned Pharrell, either he's Daft Punk or Robin Thicke. You, right. look at the, you look at the relationship that Timberlake and uh, Timberland have, have built together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and you add in, add, you look at where I am now doing Whitney, Whitney Spears. You know, and then you add it to the fact somebody like Ryan Lewis has basically become our kids' new generation to Jazzy Jeff as far as production is concerned. You know, where he has a relationship with an artist in, in Macklemore, the same relationship that Will Smith had with Jazzy Jeff. You're looking at black music basically from a production standpoint. I don't want to say selling itself out, but going as far to the mainstream as they possibly can. And what's the reason for that? Money. You think so? Isn't that the reason? I mean, I, I dig down into hard, it. Okay. I think it's do, do you think Dre really got with Eminem because of money? Hell yeah. You he think? Saw. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. So you think? No, <laughs> I don't you, blame him. No, for no. That. But listen. No. So I'm, I'm asking. Go ahead. Do you think Timberland got with Justin Timberlake because of money? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a part of it. Also, that's his boy, and he, you know, he has. And he you saw think? The for, and, and let's go with Robin Thicke and Pharrell and Daft Punk and all that. Will I am is separate, but these three. Let's deal with those. I'll say that I'm not sure exactly what you're getting at, but I'll say that money is definitely a part of it. Obviously, they're in this to make a living. But in the Timberlake um, situation, Timberland and that that union that they formed, especially for uh, the Sexy album, which I can never remember the name of for some reason. Crazy. Future Sex Love Song. Um, That was an artistic marriage for me. And I, 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 you know, I loved it. I thought it was great. But. I'm not sure what you're getting at, but I'm not arguing the business aspect of this. What I'm saying is that it's troublesome to me when Pharrell, who is arguably the hottest, you know, black producer out right now. Look at the year he's had Mm -hmm. produces a, you know, phenomenal chart topping song for a white artist, steals a beat from an iconic black artist, sues the black artist family, then puts out his album, which is which is a really good album. And in, is embroiled with controversy because he decides not to feature a sister on the cover of the album. Look at, you know, this is telltale to me. I'm getting to what you asked me. You don't know where I'm going. At. I'm getting at if you only if you think your answer for the most part was the same, but it is for money. Then do you think these black producers don't think they can give these same songs to a Usher, give these same songs to a Rihanna, give these same songs to a Beyonce and get the number one you know, reach Billboard number one or, or sell the amount of units they can with these artists that they can with the white artists. Are you asking me that? I'm asking you that. I do not know because I don't know what, you know, what's going on in their minds. But I will say that I think from a business standpoint, from a record label standpoint, they're going to get more money out of a Miley Cyrus or out of a, uh, what's the other little teeny bopper, you know, uh, the white uh, pop Demi Lovato or whatever, right. Whoever, they're going to make more money off of them in the long run. 
and put, you okay. know, than they are then, you know, because Rihanna is singular. It's right. like there's not many, there's not many of her. Right. So yeah, I think so. They are so make so more money th- off there you that. go. My thing is that that's where the problem. That's where it is. It's that the fact you have all these black pop producers that have chosen, chosen not to go the route and start producing you know, specifically a building relationship with the Beyonce, as big as Beyonce is, who have chosen not to build a relationship with the Usher, as big as Usher is, who have chosen not to get with a Rihanna and produce something as big as Rihanna is, knowing that they can still be big, but for them, that might not be big enough. So they're going to sell this over to them. They're going to use their creativity and loan it and build a relationship with these people for what you say, just to make money because putting a white face on black music is going to put you in this conversation. But... I mean, fundamentally, I don't think that the people we're mentioning, the you know the the people at the helm, like uh, Pharrell or Will I Am, etc., are responsible for or themselves in control of of black culture. I don't think that what they're doing is necessarily black culture. I think it's now been amalgamated into this kind of modern urban culture i mean this is not real soul music we're talking about here this is very very manufactured disposable at its worst manufactured disposable very very basic advertising music um you know we're not talking about the best songs on beyonce's album for example which you know do do you know go into a sort of soul gospel uh context at 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 its at its best moments um, but yeah, we're talking about product placement advertising theme tunes, in, in my opinion. So let me ask you guys, but also, how but, did but, this but, but John, we're also talking about the context of songs not making number one. And there's, you know, That's they, they go hand you. in how, hand. Right. How, how did this, in you guys' opinion, how did this happen? Because this is notable. 55 years is a long time. So for that run to end, that's a well, notable I mean, fact. I so how, be, how did this happen? Was it, was it a fluke? Was I told you the, the black artists, the black ones who are producing, the, the people who are producing pop music, the black producers that are producing pop music have not aligned themselves with black artists. And you think that's a well, choice well, that okay, they're, but, they're but, making? Well, well, I think they're building relationships with them. I think it's a cycle. The, I think it just cycled out. Well, I, I, I don't even agree with that. I think it may be just a temporary glitch in the system. Pharrell's Pharrell's already had a number one this year, right? With Mm. Happy. Right. You know, and and, and he, you know, all right, he gave it to himself. The Bobby McFerrin uh, (laughs) remix. That's the Don't Worry. What's the the song? Don't Worry, Be Happy. 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 Yeah, Damn If I Say It, You Can Slap Me Right Here. (laughs) I I think about that every time I hear that that song. I want, but what was what were you about to say, though, Arthur? I want to well, hear. not not that not that this when I said that maybe it just cycled out. What I mean is that you know that that the release schedules happen in such a way where in 2013, yeah, okay, I agree with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All this stuff happened. But in dog, was that the first time start- that happened? If that, I mean, that's it's 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 phenomenal for that. Has that's never happened before in 55 years? You know, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but it's yeah. like for that not to have happened in the previous 55 years, that's a hellified glitch. I mean, Isaac, you know that Rihanna's going to have another number one. You know that Beyonce is going to have another number one. And Pharrell already you know stopped it right now with Happy. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, you but know, it, you, did you Beyonce have one? No. No, because the album didn't come out. No, you know, I'm saying it has. Isaac, it's, Isaac, hold on, hold on, you know hold on, Jay. I get. Is going to. Is, is she? The album's of been out since what? November. Whether it's Beyonce or whether, no, well, maybe not on this album, but whether it's Beyonce or Rihanna or Usher or any sundry one of these sort of very hyper commercial black acts. But what if, but what if, let's, let's do a kind of a what happen. if within this topic. Cause to me, happy is a, 
it's almost an exception because it's just such a I don't think you get to Bobby do McFerrin here, bro. It's such a Bobby McFerrin Despicable Me soundtrack joint. You know what I'm saying? It's so, uh, but I get you guys. It is. It did chart. You know, in 2013. It, it, it so He's it's already guy. stopped. Then. But Beyonce, I don't think she's had what three singles out now? Two singles out, and neither one of them has hit number one yet. I've got no. I didn't follow the marketing. I got no idea. I, I mean, just but you know got, that. I'm saying you guys know that that Pharrell is charted. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying has Beyonce charted yet at number one? And no, if she, she hasn't, hasn't, if she hasn't. That album has been out since November, December. Uh, what's it? Drunk in Love. And I know mm-hmm. she's, uh, I think, was it Blow was the second single? I don't know. So I can't see her releasing anything. If those two didn't hit number one, I can't see her releasing anything else that hits number one on the Hot 100 chart. Unless she does like Lord and put Rick Ross on a remix, you'll get number I mean, one. listen, you guys, I'm not saying this is caused, like like I said, the apocalypse is not happening right now. But I am saying that the, the apocalypse it would happened. not, it would Isaac. not. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I feel you 100%. I agree with you. But what I'm saying is that this was happening right here. You can't argue with the facts. This is the first time this has happened in 55 years. Mm-hmm. So I see, I, I w- I'm saying this, it would not surprise me if years later down the road, we look back and s- after what happens after this and say, yo, this was when it started. This was a I huge would give, shift. No, I, I mean, this I would was give a that huge, you. you know, uh, a moment where things changed. Is it that because you don't me. see anything on the horizon? No, I... I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm saying. No, I'm just saying. You know, I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm saying, saying. I'm saying. I can't say what's going to happen. It's not that I don't see anything happening because I didn't see Beyonce's album coming. That that surprised the hell out of me. I didn't see her doing that. But this moment was happening right now. It just would not shock me at all if we look back on this. If this was the moment where things shifted, you know what I'm saying? Because like I said, look at the 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 year that Pharrell had to me is very telltale. You know what I'm saying? Of all the things that happened over the last year with him, just in general. To me, that's telltale of where we're at now musically. Something could happen to change that. But then again, it wouldn't shock me if something didn't happen and we just keep going down this road and producing more Macklemore's. Uh, we can't keep throwing Justin out there because he's kind of at the tail end of his thing. But more Adele's, more, you know what I'm saying? We, we start seeing that phase out. We already don't see black folks in Hollywood. They're not represented in Hollywood at all. I could see a time period in music where they're not represented. But, I mean, music has changed, too. We were talking about this. You know, it's much more singles-driven. And I think a lot of these a lot of these pro- producers and even artists, like particularly in Usher's case, you know, are making investments in their future. So, you know, mm. the, the relationship with, 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 with Usher and Justin Bieber. Mm. It could be a thing where, you know, why did the Roots join the television show? Well, you know, we just got tired of being on the road all the damn time. Let's just think about what it is that we want to do next and still, you know, make more than just a living. Usher might be in the same position, you know. Timberland may look at look at look at look at Justin Timberlake. It may be a, a creative partnership, but at the same time, he's I like mean, Magoo ain't getting it. <laughs> right, or 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 who's not or, making it for me? Well, yeah, but I'm saying you know this is completely hypothetical. Maybe you know Timberlake is securing Timberland in such a situation where he can actually spend time developing other people, developing other black talent. Well, look at to look do at this other kind of music without uh, having to uh, worry about. Are they doing it? Well, I, and that's the point. Timber, look at, Timber, look at Timberlake. Timberlake's been with Justin for a long time. Look at Timberlake, who, and who we can cares? look at Timberlake and say, "Okay, John made a good point." John Arthur, he did that song with uh, Nelly Furtado. Arthur, look at Timberlake, and you can see that since Timberlake's reign has kind of you know waned a little bit, there's been other artists of his ilk to follow him. Mm-hmm. You know, the Justin Bieber's or whatever. Since Usher's reign has ended or waned, who we got? R. Kelly. No, no, no. I'm saying oh. after Usher. 
after Usher. Usher took up R. Kelly's reign. Oh, you mean like who's yeah, next who's, up? Who's the black right. Justin Bieber? Who's next up? Right. Yeah, who? Next to, topic. On, on that level. Right, 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 right. Let me drop my mic. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Silence. Don't pick your mic back up and ask, who cares? I don't why I care. care. I care. If if if, if because if, if because no it's other important. black artist, if no other black artist ever makes a whack, oh Jay, come on man, disposable, Jay. that's subjective bit, bit, though. Bit of shit that gets to number one. Why do you care? I, I couldn't because care because Jay, some of the songs that have gotten to number one outside of yourself, some people like. I liked, so it does matter. And that's a problem right there. <laughs> and I think that it is a problem if, again, I just you know to three of the people that have much you know as music knowledge much music knowledge at this table we none of us could come up with a name to follow R- usher you know we can come up with names to follow justin timberlake but i'm sure we got I, no I, we got I, nobody I, okay. after usher who all right I, but, but i don't I think can, we had usher to I, begin I ain't got with no name following. yeah you know i so don't think we had usher to begin with i think we, well, we had him back way back but i don't think he's he he is not who I would look to as being the savior of modern black music. Well, Jay, I no, can't. You're not I saying the savior. I think yeah, you're saying, saying who's going to be able to who, who who's going to have what that black artist going to be able to cross and transcend just doing soul music and and and, and secure who's going to have a career. Like yeah, what, take, who, yeah, who's take your, take your, so, take so, so, so like a black artist is going to have a pop career that can still you know be rooted in black music. I think right. that's look what you're saying. Look at Usher. I mean, we can go to the Raheem Devons and the Air Robins and talk about other soul singers and Anthony Hamm, but he's talking about an Usher, which is totally different. I get the idea, but Isaac, is your is your contention then that it is a deliberate move that black artists aren't being developed? in the way that white artists no I, I, I don't and, and, and I, I, I'd, I'd I don't know that. that I would agree I, with that bro I, if, I don't know that saying. but what I will say is that most cultural shifts happen in a way that it's only you can only you can only kind of look back on it yeah, in hindsight with, with 2020 I agree with that too and that's what but, I think I mean, is happening but may, maybe a better way to look at it instead of looking at the charts etc look at who has won the last you know five American Idols or X Factors well, I don't I don't watch those shows either, but I do know from reading and hearing about them on the radio that those shows aren't really a measure because those by you know by and large the people who win those things don't go on to do anything. That's because they're signed to us they, the contractually they can't they're limited in what they can. I'm do. just saying from a they, they're uh, limited to what they can do, but also I think what's very important here is because you ultimately Isaac you're not just talking about monetary success you're not just talking about in any kind of sound scan accounting or iTunes accounting methodology. You're talking about popularity. You're talking about people supporting, people believing, people buying into something. Now, more people voted in an American Idol finale than they did the US presidential election. You're talking millions and millions and millions, 100 million people voting in these kind of scenarios. So I think it it is very important. If, If your contention is that the success of these artists on the charts is somehow indicative to the way that America looks at race. I think, you know, how how American Idol and X Factor victors are, are decided is equally important. But you can look at the fact that the people who have won on those shows, the Fantasias, the Ruben Stutters, the, the Jennifer Hudsons, the Jordan Sparks, mm-hmm. none of them have had number one records. None of them had anything close to having number one records. Maybe a few R&B, but never, never number one on a Billboard chart to, to the context of what we're talking about. You know, and one is because a lot of them are hand-tied to record deals the minute they win those 
you know, win those mm-hmm. awards. Mm-hmm. They don't have the freedom that the artists that we're talking about have. They don't have mm-hmm. Usher's freedom. You know, um, so, you know, when you have to stick to a record label, when you sign the deal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you have to go through Clive Davis to get your music done, mm-hmm. that hand straps you from any type of creativity and also loaning yourself to, to reach an audience that, you know, uh, 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 you know, Justin Timberlake can reach or Justin Bieber can reach or Miley Cyrus can reach. So I think using those in this context is kind of off because there are too many variables going on inside of what happens to them when oh, they I, win I those contests. But at the same time, it's interesting well, I, how I think, I think using, even with... Using, using those in a sort of chart success, I agree with you. In that kind of context, I agree with you. It's off. But not necessarily using... I think it's appropriate to use those as a comparison in terms of who America is voting for. Because when, you know, when, when someone buys a single, you're voting for that person. You know, you're, yeah, but that, Jay, it's, you're it's, saying, it's one thing is, to pick up a I phone like. and dial a number and vote for somebody. It's another thing to actually spend money on music. That's, that's two different things. So... If the black artist is winning on American Idol, okay, great. But if the white yeah. artist is selling out at the record store, that's a whole different story. And at the same time, Jay, those people are voting for individuals. They're not voting for a song. Or, a, you know, even an album. Right. People or, buy yeah, a song. They, buying, you know, yeah, and they're, they're, buying the song, their whole, they're voting for their whole story because right. they watch these people all season. Right. Yeah. But in this particular, when, when you when you talk about the Billboard situation, they're buying a song. There's something about so, that so, song. So I'm still not clear. Isaac, are you saying that you don't think Beyonce is going to have another number I, I, one in her career I said or that, or? Yeah, I, I said that I don't, first of all, you know, I said that I don't know what's going to happen for us a year. I said it wouldn't shock me if this happens again. But I see, as far as Beyonce is concerned, I just said I don't think anything, if, if Drunk in Love and the other song haven't hit number one, I don't see what other song off that album is going to hit number one on the Hot 100 charts, especially if Blow was, or no, if Drunk in Love didn't hit, I don't I don't understand see what else is going to hit. Even though that album is phenomenal, I don't see any other singles matching Drunk in Love as a single. Now, even if, but Jay, even if another black artist does hit this year outside of Happy Man, I think that it still is notable that this has happened, that this has occurred. And I think we can all agree that there are there's something going on. You know what I'm saying? Whether we agree exactly what that is, there is something different now happening. And and I, I think that there is something that we should pay attention to. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if Arthur agrees with me, but I think it was a glitch. Because, you know, Pharrell's already done it. He's already he's already number one dip with Happy. Yeah, but I, I I think it's somewhere in the middle. I mean, we can't predict what's going to happen. I see exactly what Isaac's saying and the fact that there's nobody on the horizon that we can basically see that may be coming out with music that can actually secure a number one spot. You're going to hold down a couple of weeks on Billboard's number one as a black artist. The fact that we don't see that individual, I think, goes to what Isaac is saying. You know, but at the same time, I, I really don't want it to get lost. And, and what I'm trying to say is that the crest of this lies in those who are creating the music, and that's the producers. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, and I agree with you because back in the day, it was the Puffies, it was the Puffies, the Russell Simmons who were looking, actively looking right. for the next Rihanna's and the right. next Beyonce's. Right. Nobody's looking for them anymore. No, because, because why, the, because, because because the black for? artists that are creating music, black or whatever, you know, pop music, black pop music, I put it that way, because there's something for what Jay said is not being really soul or R&B right. music. Right. But very rarely do soul and R&B music get to Billboard number one. So you have to create pop mm-hmm. music. But the black people that are black producers that are creating this music are giving it to white artists. Mm-hmm. Who's going to give, once again, who's going to give Rihanna 
that song. Who's going to give Who's going to find the next Rihanna? You know what I'm saying? Who's going to find Who's going to find I mean, look. Because the other, the other part about this 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 who? thing is that that we haven't talked enough about, but it goes to the point you just made, is that white artists claim the number one spot on the R&B and hip-hop charts. They was all over it. 44 out of 52 weeks. Mm. That's telltale as well. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, I think we're going to have a problem when urban radio stations start going mm. off the air and signing mm-hmm. off. I mean, like, like you can't find a jazz station. Mm-hmm. Just can't find one. Right. That's when you, we really, right. really, so really have a problem. Shockingly, that's already happened in the UK. And, you know, you, you, you guys often say on the show that non-Americans appreciate true American music more than Americans. In London, for example, which is, you know, a radio hub, a global radio hub, and extremely eclectic in its appreciation of all music, not just black American music. The two sort of main jazz stations on the FM dial have now been switched to satellite and internet radio only. The only alternative soul, alternative hip-hop station, BBC One Extra, is an internet-only station. Wow. That's sad. Very sad. Very sad and very worrying. And and, and that's the way it goes. And, it, you know, who knows why, but they're, they're, they're definitely, I agree with you here, they've definitely been a dumbing down of culture and a dumbing down of appreciation. I mean, I know I sound a bit like a broken record and a bit of a caricature when I say this stuff, but there's definitely been a dumbing down of the culture. Okay, roundtable time. A day late. I'm going to try to win this roundtable. I'm just letting you all know. Oh, snap. A day late. Sophomore releases that would have been a classic if only the debut hadn't dropped first. Okay, let me ask you this before we go. Right, let's clear the... Does your winning this... Do you, do, are you... Are you trying to win it up front or would you rather win it on the back end? So, I mean, are you, are, you, are you going to make I it hard? No, no. Are you, are you going to make I it think, hard? I think mine is nice enough that I can be number two or three. Okay. So you ain't trying I'll to go make... third. I'll go third. Okay. All right. I'll make sure. I, I didn't know if you want to lay it out there and make it hard for everybody else, you know? Just to kind of scope it a little bit. This is the album that when released was disregarded, dogged out because the first album was just so good or so popular. Not the other way that I had it first, <laughs> which was that the second album was really good, but because the first album was so okay, great, I, it I just don't, outshone. I got an answer for both. I got a, I got an answer, but it's kind of, I'm going to have to bend the rules a little bit. You guys got to let me bend the rules a little bit Please, only because oh, I, didn't, I didn't really understand. I don't have anything for that. You know what I'm saying? So let me bend the rules. I'll allow, yeah, I'll allow... Okay, this the is other. this is the way I'm gonna bend the rules. My pick is I'll be sure sexy verses. Mm. The way I'm gonna bend the rules is because it was his third album, not his not his sec not his sophomore, it was his okay. junior release. Okay. His first release, which was uh, uh in effect mode, and then he had the private times mm-hmm. album. Then came sexy verses. That was a good album. Sexy verses though was not at least you know, maybe it was just my <laughs> my group everybody dogged that album. You know what I'm saying? And I loved it. And my girlfriend at the time, we were the only two people album. I knew that loved that album and played it, you know, relentlessly. And this is cassette tapes, you know what I'm saying? So played it to the little white parts yeah. chipped off the, the uh, clear cassette tape. That album I thought was phenomenal.
it was a different it was kind of a different sound it was still there's some some new jack swing in there if i remember correctly Devontae produced some of the album yeah and i think this was right around the time when he really was getting heavy with them wasn't it yeah. the jodeci yeah. and everything yeah. so it was a different sound for al and i just i fell in love with this album but it was as like i said as far as my group of fans it was dogged out it was dogged out okay now i encourage anybody who has not heard that album who even if you're not I'll be sure but if definitely if you like I'll be sure if you're not with sexy verses or you haven't heard it in a long time go back and listen to that album you, you won't be sorry me or you Jahan up to you man go ahead Jay alright I actually have two but I'm just gonna say one for now Nas it was written damn <laughs> <laughs> so you should've went no 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 Nah. Think, hold on, you think you, do you, you think yep. it was written would have been a classic? Yep, if it yep. wasn't for, yep. Is that yours as well, Scoop? No, you know what? It was, I had it down and then I thought of another one and didn't, but I say damn because I'm with you on that one. You could say Nas's whole career. No, after, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> well, no, no, because Nas's whole career would not have been a classic. But it was written. Yeah, that's it's true. A yeah. Good, it's a very it's a good solid it album. It is. It is really a good album. Hold on. Really you know is. what? I say this as somebody who uh, this is. It was written. Came out when ninety four. Uh, I'm gonna cut you off. Johanna basically said, "Damn," because I think your yours is better than mine. That's really why I said, "Damn," because I thought about it and went with something. So I think you made you okay, made so good. It was written. Came out in ninety six. And I, I'll shut yeah. up in a minute because I know it's Johanna's pick. But I remember listening to that album religiously on the Marta on my way to to, uh, to school downtown Atlanta and yeah it did get shat upon by a lot of people and I was like yo I thought it was a great album but I don't know is it a classic? I think it's a classic I mean look the context of it is what is interesting to me because Illmatic was known as it was known by so many people in 94 and beyond that as arguably the greatest hip-hop album of all time and you know we've talked about that before we talked about the production lineup we've talked about Nas's lyrics, his lyricism, his MC ability, his storytelling, etc. And the production lineup was integral to, to that album. We all agreed that. And then It Was Written comes along and he switched out the producers completely. The only producer that the only producers that he had in common with both albums were LES and DJ Premier. Yes. Pete Rock was gone. Yep. Q-Tip was gone. Large yep. Professor was gone. Yep. Done. And it was a real shock to the system because at that time, when it came out, the people who he removed were killing it. Still. The album came out and I definitely, I liked it, but it was definitely a disappointment for me based on the fact just purely in the shadow of Illmatic purely in the shadow of Pete Rock of Q-Tip of Large Professor Productions you take that out of the scenario what if Illmatic didn't exist I think it was written as it is I think it would be much much more respected his lyricism is on point there's a big coherence to the album it kind of runs each track sort of develops you, you know you have Lauren Hill track right at the end etc I think it would definitely have been much more celebrated were Illmatic not the holy grail to underground hip-hop heads, the gold standard to underground hip-hop heads that it, that it was and, and endured and still endures to be to this day. Absolutely. I, I mean, where was totally he to go agree. after that? You yeah. know what I'm saying? After you do that and it gets the... I mean, he actually went to the only place he could go and that was to the top of the charts because Illmatic didn't make him any money. So it was like for him to follow that up with the the first thing you heard 
unless you got some something leaked. The first thing you heard was Lauren Hill. You know what I'm saying? And right. that track. To me, that's the only place he could have gone hey, right after that. John, let me ask you a question. Would his career have been any different different if Illmatic, if he if it was written was his introduction and say Illmatic was his third album? So we can see the growth of our artists. Do you think his well, career would have been I any think, different? Yeah, definitely. Illmatic would have then been, you know, it would have, it would have, it would have probably sold a lot more because he would have been getting the, you know, the sales of people who liked the first album or the first two albums. You know, it was written and then whatever came after that. So people, you know, that crowd would probably have bought Illmatic in reliance of it being similar to the previous stuff. Maybe they would have been disappointed, but I think it would have sold more. It wouldn't just be underground hip hop heads buying it. I think it would have been like Parade. Yeah, I think it would be the critical darling album. It would be his. It was. It would have been his Parade, and Correct. things probably would have worked out better for him because it would have been like, okay, yeah, that was his genius moment, and they would, you know, what I'm saying it would have been regarded. But it would have been an parade. arc to his career rather right. than just a sort of yeah. yeah. I think you know what thinking about it in that context Scoop because you and I have said this before that we feel that Nas is overrated in the sense of he's still a great great MC but he's not the you know he's not God you know what I'm saying like so many people made him out to be but in that scenario making Omatic his third I think that would have worked out better for him in my eyes you know what I'm saying as far as how I would regard yeah regarded him but what was his, what would his number two have been so you got it was written number one and then what would his number two be it couldn't have been uh, Couldn't be Nostradamus <laughs> Stillmatic Yeah Stillmatic is number two And then Illmatic is number one <laughs> Stillmatic or Street's Disciple Right Right Scuba Duke So yeah, on you I think I'll ask Because Jahan just killed me Because <laughs> I actually had two um, And they were both hip hop albums And as he was talking I just thought of a third one And, and still Even with three um, <laughs> I can't I, I can't fuck with what he just Because that's the, he, he nailed it but to add diversity to what we're talking about and not stick with hip hop, I'm I'm gonna choose a different route to go with. Um, but just full disclosure, the uh, the the album, the hip hop albums I did have that I was gonna say, because um, I had a tie, was uh, Beastie Boys, Paul Boosie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, is Beastie that Boys. Authors? Yeah, that was probably Will's Arthur's, but he, Arthur, I, the one I have is Arthur's going to appreciate. But the tie with that was De La Soul is Dead after Three Feet High and Rising. That's a good one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I say that all to say, even with that being said, Jahan, I think you you nailed it because there, there's no other hip hop situation I don't think you could bring up that really answers the question better than you asked it. But my answer for this, and you'd appreciate this, Arthur. Damn, that wasn't your, so none of those was your answer? No, I was, no, I was. You decided no. to slay your answer. No, 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 I didn't. I was going, I, that's what I was going, I was going with hip hop. Oh, okay. You know, I was, that, I, I was going answer. with the tie between Paul's Boutique and Dead De La Soul is Dead. But anyway, Arthur would appreciate this. My answer to this question. <laughs> I already know what he's about to say. No, you don't. Okay. Unless you read, yeah. <laughs> I can read your mind sometimes. Led Zeppelin 2. Oh, no. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Two was a phenomenal album. It, 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 was, it was a great album, but the fact of the songs and the way they entered the stage of music with Led Zeppelin One and the fact that that type of energy and what Jimmy Page was doing basically had not been heard before, I, people still go to that album, the number one album, changing the course mm -hmm. of rock and roll. If they had started with two, mm -hmm. which is a great, with a whole lot of love on it, it's a great, great, great album. 
but the stuff they did on one was it, it was it was a groundbreaking album. It was just a groundbreaking album. And if you remove that from the context, two would be considered one of the greatest rock albums ever. But the introduction was so strong. Yeah, you concur. I concur. Okay. I concur. Yeah, so that's mine. It, 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 it doesn't trump Nas. But I think in the I'm just laughing because you killed you, you killed Arthur's he in the process. Right. He, he took it and then didn't he even like use it dog. as his number one. <laughs> just sacrifice. That's it. That's it. Now let me tell you what my pick is. <laughs> my bad, homie. Do you, no, have, it's all do you good. have another one? I I don't. I'm winging it. No, but do it. I didn't use it. I'm winging it. But Axis Bold as Love. Good one, Jimi Hendrix. If that was the first album. If you take, if you take Jimi Hendrix experience, the, the debut out of the equation, and it starts with Axis is bold, Axis bold as love. Jimmy would not have been a, it, at least his career wouldn't yeah. start out as a kind of a novelty. The first, first album, album, because it was so different, took England by storm. But I don't think it was as good an album as Axis was. So if all you experienced didn't exist. You think that Axis Bold of Love would be an absolute classic, but it's not currently a classic today. But I see what you're saying because I, it I, I is see, a classic. Yeah. all three. You know, I, I see what you're saying. All three of his records are a classic. So I mean, I'm 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 splitting hairs, really. No, no, but, but I see but, what but he's but saying not, because is, it, I, I, yeah. I see what he's saying because I mean, what what we're saying is when we say are you, if are you experienced didn't exist. What we're saying is that Hey Joe doesn't exist. Purple Haze doesn't exist. The Wind Cries Mary doesn't exist. Foxy Lady mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Stone Free. Now I do know those songs, exist. and I don't. I've heard those songs. Yeah, they all on one album. That's, that's what we're <laughs> saying, right? They don't exist. Right. You take that out of. You take that then out you, of. You, you that's take heavy. that out. Yeah, that's massive. I mean, if Purple Haze doesn't exist, Jesus. Yeah. Then. Well, if not, it does. If, if it, it comes, comes out afterwards, afterwards exactly. Then the Wind Cries it comes Mary. Afterwards. It changes the them. You know, it's just the way you introduce exactly. it. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing I'm saying about Led Zeppelin. I'm not saying the, the album's great, they stand on their own, but they're not looked upon as classics as the ones we're talking about because they came exactly. out Exactly, and because right. a lot of this has to do with artists' introduction right. to how artists introduce themselves to the world. Have, then Little Wing and If Six Was Nine, they have much more room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you, you ever heard the you, 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 you've heard the uh, Sting cover, right? You've heard Nothing Like the Sun. That's a Jimi Hendrix song, Little Wing. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Have you heard the Living Color cover of um, uh, The Burning of the Midnight Lamp? No, I haven't. When, what did they do that on? Uh, um, second album. No, third it, album. An EP called Biscuits. Say, there's an a second EP, album. An EP called Biscuits. <laughs> there's a second album you should have mentioned. You, th- you think I, he won? I think did he, he wins win? on that No, one, I didn't To be win. honest with you, yeah. I think he does because, because, I mean, you take Hey Joe, Purple Haze, The Wind Cries Mary, Foxy Lady. You take those out. I mean, Jesus. I think Scoop wins just because he he just because the way he just slayed everybody else's pick. This has been episode twenty-five of the Music Snobs podcast. Find us online at themusicsnobs.com. We're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash themusicsnobs. Twitter, our Twitter handle is Total Music Snobs. And Facebook, facebook.com, themusicsnobs. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at episode 26.